0: Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 247 3051 Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
1: Now, if you turn in your Bibles here to... Genesis chapter 13, we're going to begin now, and uh, first of all, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for being a teaching God, because we're a people that need so much to be taught by you. And so we pray this morning, Lord, come to this room and teach us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Genesis chapter 13, follow along, please, I'll start here. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went up with, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren, is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee. From me, and if thou wilt take the left hand, then I'll go to the right hand. If thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest out of Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the land of Jordan, plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, after Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land that thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed out forever. And I'll make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land and the length of it and the breath of it, for I'll give it unto thee. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Oh, that's a nice chapter. Anyway, so now as we have left now chapter 12, we've been impressed as we've gone from chapter 12 with two great promises that Jehovah Jesus made to Abram, which we look back, and you can see in verse 1 there of um, 1 and 2, of chapter 12 that the two promises that God gave to Abraham was the land of Israel was given to Abraham and his seed Abraham's seed and the people of Abraham would be large and we know from the Lord Jesus Christ and what he said to qualify what's meant by the people of Abraham that there are two groups in the people of Abraham one group's called Abraham's seed and another group is called Abraham's children and that was all given to us in John chapter 8, 37-39, when this dispute occurred between the Lord Jesus Christ and his enemies, who are obviously Jewish. And he says, I know, looking to them, he said, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, group one, and you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, you do that which you have seen with your father, and they answered and said to them, Abraham was our father. And Jesus saying to them, if you were Abraham's children, group two, you would do the works of Abraham. So in that vital passage of John 8, 37-39, we have the two groups laid out for us. Abraham's seed, Abraham's children, Abraham's seeds, their descendants, physical descendants of Abraham, Jewish people. A person is born a physical descendant of Abraham. And during that conversation that he was having there in John 8, he was addressing some of Abraham's seed who he said were trying to kill him. So apart from Abraham's seed, quite different. is another group that he called Abraham's children who are the followers of Abraham, who are made up of both Jewish and non-Jewish people. A person's not born a follower of Abraham. A person becomes a follower of Abraham by being born a second time, being born again. So the followers of Abraham, or Abraham's children, they follow Abraham into believing and trusting and obeying Jehovah Jesus. And so during that conversation, very important, in John 8, he told those Jewish people that Abraham's children do the works of Abraham. And the works of Abraham were simply to believe and to trust and their works would be seen by the obedience to Jehovah Jesus. So those are the two great promises that God made to Abraham about the land and about the people. So we see the people are divided into two. The seed, Abraham's seed, Abraham's children, physical, spiritual. So God's desire was for Abraham's seed to have the land of Israel. And it took thousands of years for Abraham's seed to finally get or obtain the land of Israel, at least part of it. And God's desire was for Abraham's seed to become Abraham's children. And we're still waiting, and that's been thousands of years. But it says in verse 2 of chapter 12, it uses this word great. It says, I'll make of thee a great nation. I'll make thy name great, he says. Everything's great. God is, but what's important to see about this verse 2 is that it's God who's making it great. God is going to make the name great. God is going to do it. He's going to make the great nation. He's going to make the great the name great. It's not them making themselves great. It's God making them great. So you look, we look at verses 2 and 3, and we see how the blessing comes as a result of God doing this making great. There he does, see? Blessing that extends to all the families of the earth. So when Abraham's seed becomes Abraham's children, then they become great. And when Abraham's seed becomes Abraham's children, then they become a blessing to all the families of the earth. As it says about the Jewish people in Romans 11, 15, for if the casting away of them... Be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? And so we wait for Abraham's seed to become Abraham's children. It's already taken thousands of years, but we don't think it's going to take much longer because we see dark clouds now over the land of Israel. And, we, we're, and so we don't think we have to wait much longer because what's predicted looks like it's going to happen soon in Romans eleven twenty six. 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. And is written there, as is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer who shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Okay? And then in Zechariah 13.9, uh, God says, like he said, going to make the name great, he says, I will bring the third part, the third part of the Jewish people, the part that remains. Two thirds die, one third remains. He says, I'll bring that third part through the fire. And I'll refine them as silver is refined. I'll try them as gold is tried. And what's going to happen? They'll call on my name, and I will hear them, and I'll say, it's my people. And they'll say, the Lord's my God. That's going to be a day when the Jewish people call the Lord Jesus Christ their God. Can't wait for that one. Anyway, so Abraham means father, father of multitude. And so for us, when we study about Abraham, not just doing a sterile study here of some historical character named abraham we're studying the person who's our, our father we're children of abraham we want to be like him and so we want to follow him we don't want to follow him in his sin of lying we don't want to do that part but we want to follow him in his strength and so and, and how he recovered from his sin so paul made that clear he says in one corinthians 11 1, he says be followers of me even as i also am of christ so Paul was saying to him, follow me, so he's telling him, follow him in how he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Not when he was not following the Lord Jesus. And when we study Abraham, that's what we should do. We should, we should say, I'm going to follow Abraham as he followed God. We follow Abraham, we follow Paul, we follow pastors. It's limited to only as they are following God, see? All right, now. So, as we look back over chapter 12, we can see an illustration in this history that we've just studied of 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for four things for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. So, this verse tells us that God, what God does through his Bible, when we have a crisis, over what is right and we don't do what is right then god addresses that crisis in our lives through the bible which tells us the doctrine what is right it tells us the reproof what's not right in our lives it gives us correction how to get right in our lives and instruction how to stay right and that's what we saw here in chapter 12, as Abraham goes over this crisis of what is right and did what was not right in regard to his w- relation to his wife. So in verse two, when God said to Abraham, "I'll make of thee a great nation," the word "thee" was God's doctrine for what is right. What is right, Abraham. Thee means Abraham and Sarah." And so Sarah was indispensably important for Abraham. So Abraham should do nothing that risks losing Sarah, him losing Sarah. So that wasn't such a good idea to put her in a place where she would be taken as another man's wife. So God's doctrine as to what is right is Sarah and and Abraham are a unit. So Abraham has this crisis over what's right. He denies Sarah as his wife. She's taken to become Pharaoh's wife. That's not good. Then in verses 18 through 19, when Pharaoh called Abraham and rebuked him, With all those three questions we covered last week, which pelted Abraham, one after the other, Abraham could do nothing but hang his head lower and lower anyway. Why did you do, what did you do to me? Why did you tell your sister? Why didn't you say her wife? And so forth. So that was God's reproof, showing Abraham what it was not right what he did. And then in verse 19, when Pharaoh says to Abraham, this is your wife, behold thy wife. That was God's correction for Abraham, showing Abraham how to get right, that Abraham should see Sarah as his indispensable wife. And then in verse 20 in the chapter there, when Pharaoh sends Abraham away and his wife, that they should go and they should stay together. That was God's instruction for Abraham on how he should stay right. Don't separate from her, Sarah. All right. Now, we come in verse 1 through 2. And so as we open this chapter, 13, start a history now. History is going to be of a conflict between Abraham and his nephew Lot. And so we read in chapter 13, verse 1, Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, all he had, Lot with him, into the south. Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. So we see how Abraham went up out of Egypt into the south. Now the Bible begins now to describe positions geographical positions in terms of the land in terms of the land of israel in terms of canaan so the land around the nile is at sea level and so abraham's going up to the hills of bethel which are about 2500 feet and so it's spoken of as going up and you notice in verse one there's a very important word before the word south it says the south when it comes to where abraham went Obviously, Egypt is more south than Israel, than Canaan. But so Abraham—it's not saying that Abraham went in the direction of the south because he didn't, but he went into the south, which indicates again the Bible is describing locations in terms of the land. They were talking about the south of the land. He went land went into the south of Canaan. Now I read in verse two, it says that Abraham was very rich. Now literally, the word for rich—it's an interesting word is the word kaved is the word for rich that's used here it's an interesting word it means heavy like weighed down so literally this verse abraham was very rich you could say abraham was very weighed down you know in cattle and silver and in gold so the bible describes riches as a weight something that weighs you down now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I should only be so weighed down, right? <laughs> like the prayer of you, Lord, you made many, many poor people. <laughs> I realize, of course, it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. So what would it be so terrible if I had a little fortune? You know, if I were a rich man. Anyway, so the Bible describes Abraham's little fortune. Well, wasn't so little. But anyways, it describes Abraham's fortune with this word rich in, in verse 2. And it's this very important word. Kaved, very heavy, it says Abraham was kaved meod, who's very heavy, very heavy. It didn't mean fat. It wasn't like meat, you know, but I mean, it's not what it means. So we want to grab a hold of this word kaved as heavy, translated heavy, that's translated rich here, because it's got a lot of meaning. It's got a lot of instruction for it. It's interesting. We actually just covered the first use of that word. We just covered it. Of course, I didn't say anything, so, you know, who knew? But anyway, we just covered a verse where the word kaved was used for the first time in the Bible. I'm going to show you and tell you what that verse is, and then you tell me which word it is you think that's translated, that's kaved in the original. Okay, it's Genesis 12.10. So look at Genesis 12.10. All right, and it says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Okay, can you guess what word is kavēd? Oh, yeah, okay, so it's an easy question, all right. so <laughs> That's right. It's the word grievous. It's the word grievous. That's interesting. Because in that verse, kavēd is translated grievous. So the first time we see this word kavēd used in Genesis 12, 10, it describes a famine. And it's called a kavēd. It's a heavy and now, to our surprise, the next time we see the word kaved, it's used to describe Abraham's wealth. He's rich. So by seeing this in Genesis 12.10, kaved to you to describe the famine as grievous, and the next time it's used in Genesis 13.2 to describe Abraham's rich, that's instructive for us. Because using the same word for these two situations leads us into a question and into a study, we want to ask the question, if God used the same word, "kaved" to describe a famine as grievous and also describe Abraham's condition with much cattle, silver, and gold, how is being rich like being uh, grievous, kaved, or heavy? So he ask the question, why did he use the same word, describe the famine and Abraham's condition of being rich? What's the link between the famine and being rich? All right, see my opposites, right? What's the similarities between the two? All right, so we saw in Genesis 12 just twelve, that the the famine caused a lot of stress for Abraham. I mean, after all, he put him under so much stress he had to leave the land that God promised to him. It was a terrible situation. He doesn't even like to think about what happened down there in Egypt. It was all because of that famine. The famine put Abraham under stress and riches now put Abraham under stress. So he has, I mean, and we can see the stress in this chapter here. We see the stress that Abraham has to try to find enough pasture land to feed his newly obtained flocks. And Lot has the same stress because he's got some newly obtained flocks. And now Abraham has the additional stress of having to protect his newly obtained silver and gold. And so these are new stresses for Abraham that, that came with these newly obtained riches, and that's what riches do. They bring stress. First, there's the stress that riches bring of an addiction to get more riches. You, know, you ask a rich man, how much do you have? And the answer is always the same, not enough. I remember a business friend of mine, we started business, uh, I started before him, but about five years afterward, then he, after I started Scandabies, he started his company. So he used to buy materials from us, raw materials, never paid his bill on time, used to make sure I infuriated. She would call him up, and he would always have the same answer. We're friends. What are friends for? <laughs> anyway. But, uh, so, but he would always say to me, you know, he says, I didn't know what his sales were, but he said, Tom, have you reached $100 million in sales yet? You always know, he's led me to believe that his sales were close to $100 million. And then he sold this business, and it became public, and his sales were $34 million. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But he sold his business for $138 million, huge amount. And he called me, and I have to do so big sale, you know, lots of money. And he tells me, he says, oh, he's retired now. He's bought this lakefront property in Houston, and he's built this house, and it cost him $30 million. Cost $30 million to build this house. I don't know, some kind of structure, big house anyway. So, so there he sat with millions of dollars in the bank, and he never had to work again. He was safe, secure with his millions. And he was, now he's going to retire. So he told so he's retiring. Okay. Well, that lasted for a year. And he started another business. Why? Because he didn't have enough. Yeah, never enough. The riches are like that. They're like an addiction. Never have enough. Then the riches bring the fear or the stress of losing the riches. That's a big thing. I mean, inflation, it erodes the value of money, especially today in the bank. Bank interest, that's not enough to prevent the loss of money from inflation. And so there's a stress. People feel the stress. And What are they going to do with their cash to keep its value? So they've got to find the right stock to invest in and not lose the riches. You know, We recently decided to take 85% of all the money we had in the bank and put it into the big investment of 1 million pounds of concrete. <laughs> and that's a big investment you know, for a new building. Anyway, because the money is going to get lost over time. And so there's a stress, and the stress of insurance to protect against the losses. And then there's the stress that riches bring of temptations, because riches open new doors, of possibilities. You know, the spike in the use of cocaine paralleled with the rise in wealth. The riches bring in the stress of temptation of what the Bible calls setting your heart on riches. As it says in Psalm 62.10, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. That's a problem to set the heart on the riches because riches, what have they, bring in the stress of this new temptation to hate and despise God. That's what the Bible says. And to stop serving God. That's what he meant when he said, the Lord Jesus in Luke sixteen thirteen, when he said, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, and love the other or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and mammon or riches so the verse tells us how riches raise the issue they raise the issue of will god be served will god be hated or loved will god be held to or despised that's the issue that riches do and then riches bring in the stress of the guilt from yielding to the new temptations Observing riches, and not serving God. And then riches bring in the sorrow. they bring in the stress of sorrow over losing them, losing riches. I have a friend, a close friend. He lost all his money when the real estate market collapsed and it fell through. He lost his house about two years ago, and I talked to him regularly. He still tells me about how beautiful his house was, <laughs> you know the lake, the view and everything, and how he had a million dollars in cash on hand in his house. Now we have to send him Vaughn's grocery cards because he had any money for a grocery. Anyway, but every time he tells me, I feel the stress of the sorrow that he feels because he lost his riches. So riches bring that to him. And last, and this last is this. Even though most men will not admit it, there is a stress that exists. And that's the stress that riches bring, the stress of having to give an account to God for how the riches were used. You know, it's just a real issue, the stress of having to give an account. I have a friend who's made millions of dollars and millions of dollars on hand, and my friend worries about how to use the money for good. And So serving, serving God is not, not in my friend's thoughts. You know, but, but I've always wondered why my friend put so much effort into trying to do good with the money even though my friend is not serving god it's as though my friend knows that an account is going to have to be given for how the money was used and so riches bring the stress of having to give an account and this was explained in matthew 25 13 through 19 you want to turn to it matthew 25 13 through 19 where the lord said watch he gives this word, Watch, be very careful. Watch, therefore, why? For ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own service and servants, and to delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, another two, another one, another man every man according to his several ability, straightway he took his journey. Then he had then he received the five talents, went, traded the same, made other five talents. Likewise, he received two, he like, gained other two. He received one, he went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. It says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And we won't go through the rest of it. But he reckoneth with them. In other words, he said, okay, it's time now. You've got to give an account.
0: Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 800- 800 247 3051, 800 247 3051. 247 3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor.